We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weather back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet, put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento Kings. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, your Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me, Mr. Sean Cunningham from Fox. 40. Sean, what's going on? James, Brendan, good. I've got the bassy voice, the, the dulcet bassy tones today. Oh, there he goes. He, I think he screamed too much at the at, uh, <laughs> at Bottle concert, Rock at Bottle Rock this weekend. And of I, course, uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah, of, Brendan, of course, Brendan and Molly. We have Brendan Nunes <laughs> from uh, the King's Pulse podcast and, of course, the King's Herald. And Molly, uh, who is like people want her to be the mascot of the King's Beat podcast. Uh, to be honest with you. I, that's fine with me because uh, my dogs, like, they hide out during this, and um, they also make way too much noise. Uh, there's Molly, uh, the beautiful, lovely Molly. Um, yes. We still have our, our pug still has the cone of shame on because he had to have oh, uh, no. some lip surgery. Uh, he had a little cancer spot on his lip. Um, and then they cut him all up. They took some teeth out. They saw something on his eye they didn't like, so they took it oh, out. Oh, God, man. Yeah, Jeez. like 18, 1900 bucks later, we get our pug back with a cone um, i hope molly can't hear that because cone of shame is like, no she dealt with the cone when got her spade and she did not enjoy it um, yeah yeah the yeah. pug seems content with it plus he's got like muffin top so you, <laughs> you can actually shove the cone like in its regular form over the top of his little fat head Oh, and then it, it gets hung up on like his rolls and you're okay. And then you can slowly pull, you don't have to disconnect it, which is the worst. Um, all right. I don't, uh, I don't like the fat shaming of this dog. Uh, he's a chubby bunny. Uh, yeah. I think he, he weighs like 28 pounds. So yeah, he's a, he's a, a good sized pug. He, he's very happy and, and, and chubby. Uh, all right. So let's get to, to King's chatter. Um, first up, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, go down below and hit the thumbs up. We forgot to do this last time. And, of course, uh, subscribe. Uh, we're blown up. We're getting, uh, like, it's super fun to watch uh, all the views that we're getting on uh, on both YouTube and the audio 
uh, is doing really well as well. So thank you to everybody who's jumping on board the King's Beat. Um, on that note, if you're not a premium subscriber to the King's Beat, make sure you do that as well. Uh, we will have another happy hour uh, now that we're in June. Um, we'll get another stellar guest. Last month was spectacular with Gary Gerald. Um, some really amazing moments in that. Mm. Um, and if you missed it, it's because you don't have a premium subscription to the King's Beat. Um, simple as that. Simple as that. Simple as that. Yeah. Um, what's going on, guys? How are you? I, let's start there. I'm doing fine if my voice recovers. Um, yeah, it's been busy uh, with coming off of Bottle Rock and then, you know, getting ready for these NBA finals uh, in San Francisco. And it's it's always interesting to go down there because it seems like the NBA is kind of back to normal ish as as much as they can and they're navigating a lot of landmines down there and we're all masked up again and um but it is it is in it's it's a fun time down there and i think i i've always told you guys walking into a setting like the nba finals or summer league or an all-star game where there's a lot of national media or people that you've seen for the past 20 years of covering the league and inevitably because i've just been around the same team for so long in the sacramento kings that uh i they, they look at me and they go what is your what are, what are the kings doing like they're just always it feels like i'm the one getting poked and i just go totally man i, I you know i don't know <laughs> and so right now it comes at an interesting time where they've got some off-season news seems like everyone really likes the the mike brown hire for the most part and uh everyone's like what are they gonna do with four what are they gonna do at number four with the draft so even at the nba finals james and brendan th- this team uh makes people kind of scratch their head and there's a bewilderment of of curiosity around them how many finals have you covered now sean every one of the warriors <laughs> so everyone that the warriors have been in so that's what six that's Five? six yeah six. i think yeah. i think i covered six of the last eight i think four i, I believe i covered four of them um yeah I, i'd I, imagine I, there's an energy just being around it even like yesterday i don't know if you're at media yesterday or yeah or what today looks like. Like, I mean, how different does it feel to just be covering the finals? Yeah, no, it does feel different because you all, inevitably you want to compare it to previous seasons. And you go, oh, we used to do this and now we're doing that. And um, as an example, you used to be able to surround the outline of the court to get your shots and your B-roll and your pictures. And, and, and then afterwards, um, all but about maybe four members of the team and the head coach would end so the four members of the four stars of the team head coach would go off and do like a interview room and then everybody else goes to a podium where everyone kind of groups around them might be a scrum might be able to pull a guy around for a one-on-one and uh it seemed like each team had about seven or eight members go to the interview room and everybody else go to a podium um and that makes it a little bit tougher to talk to some people so uh it was okay for me because i found the local some of the local angles which and not only include Nemanja Bielica, former Sacramento King with the Warriors now, uh, even Nick Stauskas, former Kings draft pick, who is now exp- had a hell of a year, really, in a very interesting journey to not only the Celtics in his first NBA postseason, but his first NBA Finals experience, and it's uh, eight seasons removed now from Sacramento, which sounds crazy to wow. think about when you think about it. Um, and then, you you know, even some smaller things where it's like, oh, look, Damon Stoudemire on Ime Doka on his staff, Ime, a former king from the 09-10 season. And then there's Damon Stoudemire, who was a spent the last five years as the head coach of Pacific basketball in Stockton. And this is his first year with the Celtics. So 
there's just so many little storylines that always kind of intertwine back to the Northern California region. And, uh, and then it's funny just to look over there and, hey, look, it's Will Hardy. And he interviewed for the King's Job. <laughs> and I'm, I'm kind of putting an eye on him and the camera on him and his interactions with players and Ime Udoka. And I go, huh. <laughs> it makes hmm. you just go, huh. wonder what, what that might have been what like. What could have been? Yeah. Yeah. Um, interesting. Um, yeah, I, I love going down to the finals, but to be honest, it's just such a drive, and I, I just don't feel it this year. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, if the Warriors continue this trend, maybe I'll go back next year. Uh, you know, it, it's not the easiest thing to get credentialed for, but I'm, I'm sure my friends at ESPN 1320 could help out there. Um, but, uh, yeah, what did you take away from Nemanja Bialica, who I'm going to, as Tuesday overreactions, <laughs> uh, I'm going to call him – uh, even though it's Thursday, right? I'm going to call him the X Factor in the NBA Finals. Uh, Nemanja yeah. Bielitsa, the X oh, Factor. I like it. Yeah. Factually. What do you think? <laughs> well, I, I in talking to him, I thought it was kind of cool because, you know, I think after his Kings run and that trade, I think he was looking at being on the downside of his career, as, as he really is. But I think he was thinking of, okay, well, that's it. I'm probably going back to Europe. Um, he's always ad- admired the Warriors, and to have the opportunity uh, pop up with them it was one that I think he was a little surprised by and incredibly grateful for. So he had kind of talked about just how much of a dream it is for him to play in the NBA finals. And I thought it was interesting because here he comes from Europe and I know the NBA is still a lot of people's dream, but most of them really want to represent their country. Most Europeans come in and want to represent their country in Olympics and FIBA. And that sometimes takes a little bit of the, precedence over even the nba it's like oh even making the nba would be great but for him it was like no nba finals are to play in that stage and him he's such a basketball junkie uh having the opportunity to do so with a really class organization like golden state is something that's not lost on him so he's really enjoying the moment i think he really was appreciative of having a a really big moment in the final game of that western conference finals hitting a pretty big shot and knowing that he just has to stay ready and he doesn't control his minutes but um there could be opportunity for him in this nba finals and uh he's he's really delighted and enjoying himself for sure yeah i'd like to see him you know go back to europe where he was an mvp and and actually have a couple more good seasons you know and and people who don't nemanja is a really good dude um he's actually a lot funnier he's like deadpan (laughs) funny yeah. Um, and he, you could always catch him at Starbucks, like, sh- like doing his little espresso shots, like boom, boom. Uh, yeah, he, he's uh, very, very European, uh, but a very good dude. Um, Wasn't there some, maybe bad blood is too harsh of wording, but people that didn't feel great about Bielisa, something about checking into a game. Don't the thirteen twenty guys hold on to this a little bit? That's I don't possible. remember this situation. Yeah, I think he did. Um, there was a point where he decided not to play. Um, but he, to be honest with you, that last season, he lost his starting job, uh, even though he had outplayed Marvin Bagley every time they played. So um, there was some bitterness with him, with uh, just the fact that he had put in the work and he had done everything to be a good NBA player. And, um, you know, he thought that he lost his job to somebody who didn't deserve it. Not that, you know, Marvin didn't but Marvin hadn't beat him out. That's what I mean by that. Um, And so there was, you know, a little bit of bad blood there where he kind of felt like, um, you know, he was pushed to the side prematurely. And uh, to be honest with you, the Kings probably would have been a better team if he played, but 
you know, you're in that situation where you have to see what you have with Marvin. And uh, so you're going to – it's a no-win situation for a coach. It's a no-win for front office and for the players involved. Um, so, yeah, I would assume that he had some uh, trepidation about, like, what happened there. But uh, but overall, when I look at players, I, I you have to understand some of that stuff. Like, if he was, like, a major distraction all the time, uh, then there would have been more of an issue. But, you know, of course, he wasn't a major distraction. There was just, I think, one incident where he was like, yeah, I'd prefer not to go in a game when you guys have left me out here in the cold for so long. Well, and it was also a little bit more than that, too, because organizationally they had had discussions that and actions had kind of flown in the face of. So it trickled over to the basketball floor, which was not good. Um, it is bigger than that moment. Like, it wasn't just as simple as I'm not going in. Um, but it was also a disagreement with Luke. Um, and, and, you know, it's just, a, it was a bad situation all around. I don't, and, and I don't think Belly, um, regrets it necessarily, but I think he, I don't think he necessarily, uh, uh, I think it probably bothers him that he's the poster child of somebody not wanting to enter the game, you know, him and, and then ironically Marvin himself as well, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it wasn't a good look and it wasn't a good situation. I think it could have been handled a lot better organizationally. But at the end of the day, you just have to be straight up and honest with players, you know? Yeah, I, you know, he's not the first player to have an issue, like, and certainly not the first player in Sacramento. I remember Omri Caspi had a yeah. very similar situation with Dave Yeager where it, they just they couldn't get on the same page at all. And it, it felt like they didn't want to get on the same page. Um, and it just kept getting uglier and uglier uh, and behind the scenes. And so uh, these things do happen you know guys want to play and i don't blame them for wanting to play you know every time that you don't play it hurts your career it hurts the amount of money that you can make in the next stop um and you know i don't think really omri had much of a career after he left here uh just like i don't think bielitsa will have like an extended look here um i don't i don't see him playing like another three or four years um just because you know he's a he's an older player at this point he came over from europe pretty late um, outside of that, uh, you know, Brendan, what do you, like, we talked about like our, uh, you predicted Celtics and six, but what are you looking forward to with the, with the finals? Yeah, I think I said seven for what it's worth, but oh, maybe it was way, seven. Yeah. I, I hope you're right. I really do. Cause I would love nothing more than a, just a amazing finals. I just don't think we're going to get it. I hope it's close. It, it's going to be all about. Golden State's offense and Boston's defense. I think the other side of the floor will be interesting as well, but like that's what I'm really intrigued to watch. Um, what was the latter part of your question, James? <laughs> I don't know. Just like that's what you're looking forward to? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I'm curious to see just, I mean, really, Clay is the interesting one to me. Like, what version of Clay Thompson are we going to get out there? Um, how well is he going to move? defensively I think mentioned this on the last episode but like if you're asking him to cover Jalen Brown that's a phenomenal test of how well are you moving at this point when he's not all too far removed from what is it two years of not playing basketball Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he's at and he's been pretty streaky on the offensive end so I'm curious to see what sort of clay shows up on a night-to-night basis and Jordan Poole is a little bit of an x-factor to me too or I don't know if you're going to get a uh, poor decision-making Jordan Poole for a majority of the games or if you're going to get 15 points a night with one of those being a 30-point game randomly throughout this series. 
Um, and like I said, I, I think Golden State offense versus Boston's defense is the most intriguing to me. Obviously, there's defense player of the year versus maybe, I mean, the best shooter of all time and one of the best offense players we've ever seen. But I think that with how much switching Boston does and not having a weak point on their defense, there's in their seven, eight man rotation, there's not a single one that you look at and are like, this is a bad defender that we attack. Like Derek White was the closest thing that you saw for Miami, but that was really a size mismatch um, with Butler. And I think Derek White is still a good defender. So I think it'd be interesting to see how the switching goes and if they can communicate well enough to deal with all the off-ball movement that Golden State deploys. Hmm. Uh, you sticking with your Warriors in uh, in five? Sean? I am. I hope I'm wrong, though. I'm, I'm not rooting for, to be right. I just... I feel like the I see where Brennan's going, and I like it. Um, but I mean, this is a Celtics team that has gone up against. I mean, you look at their path. I mean, Brooklyn, Milwaukee, Miami. That's some pretty solid defense, and Golden State right there among them. I mean, we're looking at what they've been able to do against you know the likes of Memphis and Denver before that, and then just recently with Dallas. And Andrew Wiggins has been sensational. And the other thing has been interesting is just you ta- you mentioned Clay. Clay was really good defensively in this Dallas series. I thought he had some moments. I mean, they're just a really good defensive team with Draymond and and the way Wiggins has played and and really Otto Porter has been such a really big lift for them when he's on the floor. I'm not a I think I mentioned this before. I'm not a plus minus guy, but his like leaps off the page when he's on the floor. It's a huge plus, and when he's not there, there's a there's a big negative. Um, so. There are things that I've liked about it um, from with from Golden State's defense, but you're looking at a Celtics team that is just so crazily inconsistent. They can't. I mean, I know they're going up against a solid Miami team, but two. I think I pointed out to you, James, like two games where you're in the 80s. And like if if that's what you're doing, you're toast. And I know Marcus Smart is putting everything on him. Uh, where he's saying that where the you know. They feel like they're the underdogs, although I think the national media actually has given a lot of uh, credence to what Boston is doing and has them kind of as a favorite for the most part, at least from what I've seen. But it, I, I just don't see it. I, I still don't think we've seen the best that the Warriors uh, are capable of doing, even in a single game. And maybe we see it in game one. I, I, just, I just can't see Golden State losing this series. I really don't because even when they're bad, they've found, out a way, they've found ways to close out games. They've got a lot of guys who haven't been this far. Not, there's really nobody who's been this far for Boston. That can be a blessing or a curse. But I just think that this Warriors team and this organization is a dynasty for a reason. And I think they're they're really clicking right now. And it's just... Barring some sort of injury, losing a Draymond Green or a Steph Curry, I think those are the two that are the most important t- for what they do. Um, I just cannot see them losing this series, and I think they're going to do it in a pretty dominating way. I hope I'm wrong because I really want I really want a really good series, man. I do. I think that there's going to be a moment where Steph and Clay, like they they turn back the clock and they'll remind everybody like who they are and why they're there again for the sixth time in eight, eight years. I mean, they, when those guys are on, they're like some of the most dominant players we've ever seen in the game. And, uh, you know, I think Sacramento saw it firsthand when Clay Thompson scored, what, 37 in one quarter. Um, you know, when, when they start clicking, like it's just get out of the way. And what they do mm-hmm. to teams in the third quarter is just stunning. It, it, it always has been, but still, you can't game plan for what they do in the third quarter because they just – it doesn't matter what you try to do. 
they seem to run people over. They can go down in in the half by 15 and come out of the third up 12. I mean, it's just the way they, they're built. And so really an interesting uh, – I think it should be an interesting series. But I, I too think I, – I said six. I really believe it will be closer to five. Uh, but I, I think six is where – you know, that's kind of the spot. It in its uh, game five would be at home in in San Francisco, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the other interesting aspect for me is I think Boston did really well in the open court and does a good job of forcing turnovers. And I think Golden State that's been one of their flaws throughout kind of this run that they've had. Um, and then when it gets into a half court, like there are aspects where you know I think Boston tends to isolate a little bit too much sometimes it's almost a little bit of carryover of kind of what they did with with Stevens still at times but I think that it's important and needed at times in in playoff basketball and I think there's guys to attack a little bit on Golden State side um I sound like I'm like very much believing in Boston here and I am but I feel like I'm more so defending the fact that they have a chance in my mind more so than thinking like they should be crazily favored here or anything I feel feel like we should point out, too, they split during the regular season, but that second game where they held Golden State to 88, that was the game that Steph got hurt famously against Marcus Smart. He only played like 13 minutes, so um, I don't know what you can really take from either game. You know, Clay Thompson I don't think was available in the first game, so um, this is going to be – it's going to be interesting. I I, I just think – I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they've also been really well-rested, and Iguodala, they might have him back. He's questionable now, so it's – (laughs) <laughs> it could be could be kind of a fun series, but I just think it's going to be a pretty dominating one way thing. I hope I'm wrong. Were uh, were either or both of you guys at that clay game, the 37 and a quarter? It was in San, uh, it was in Golden State actually, huh? It was that came against the Kings, and unfortunately, I drew the short straw and stayed back in Sacramento for that game, and I was so pissed when I saw that because I really I I was there for the. Uh, Remember James was there for this one, I, I believe, too, when Omri Caspi and, and Steph Curry, or maybe it was Clay. I think it was Curry, though. But they just went yeah. off in that third. Or, it was a third or second, was it a second? Second. Second yeah. quarter. Like Omri they were had just... 19 and Steph had 17. Yeah, something like that. It was like dueling banjos. It was absolutely yeah. crazy. But 37 by Clay. I mean, I was watching that on TV and just like, why am I not there? That, that's in, That's insane. I'm pretty sure I was there. You know, they all run in together. Uh, and I know that sounds crazy that you could be at a game where something miraculous happened and not be sure if you were there. Uh, but, you know, when you've covered as many games as we have, uh, they do like they they do run in together pretty, pretty well. I remember uh, I, being there when uh, Kevin Martin got traded. <laughs> that, uh, that was interesting. OK. Yeah. And then we talked about this before during the Mark Jackson uh, stuff like. That happened in Sacramento when they traded uh, Monte Ellis like in pregame for uh, Andrew Bogan. So, yeah. And hey, uh, while we wrap up the finals chatter, I uh, want to give a shout out to our guy Mark Spears. Um, I, he had some some health issues, and he uh, he thinks Apple Watch came to his rescue. And uh, it's good to hear the big the big man is doing all right. Uh, he's going to be at the finals, but he had a little health scare, so. Big shout out to our friend Mark Spears. He's he's a genuine dude. One of my one of my favorites ever. James, uh, I, I talked to him yesterday, and yeah. he's. I, I think everyone saw his tweet. So he's crediting Apple and his Apple Watch and all that thing, and that's legit. But it detected an irregular heartbeat, like his heart rate was going up. He went in, saw his doctor. They're like, "No, we need to get you to the emergency room." 
goes to the emergency room, has to do one of the thing he told me about it, like going through his leg, getting the le- artery in the leg, doing this electrical shock thing, and to fix the, the irregular heartbeat that's at the top of his heart. And like I'm looking at him like in amazement. He's like, no, no, that's why you have this. That's why you do this stuff. Like that's why, you know, awareness is great, but the having the Apple Watch to ha- to be able to monitor stuff like that is so important. And I'm like. I mean, he, he almost made he made a believer out of me. I don't I don't have an Apple Watch. I do have an iPhone. I, I think I'm gonna probably there you go. Sean, I mean, you he's got the G Shock on, huh? I, sometimes or my you know I've got a couple Nixon watches and um, I was I was a watch person for a long time and I just I stopped. I only kind of wear one or two or three, but uh, yeah, I might have to go do that, man. It was pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I don't know all of. I, I text back and forth to Mark a little bit. I don't I don't know all the specifics. I mean. They went up through his femoral artery in his leg. That's what they do uh, when they go up and they check those things out. And uh, but that's that's crazy. Um, and you know, like, look, that, I've talked about this a bunch of times. This this is a hard lifestyle. Like people like think that we we just have like a great time all the time, but it's a lot of sitting. It's a lot of sedentary life. Uh, it's then it's go go go. It's a lot of late nights. It's a lot of long hours. It's a lot of bad eating habits, which. You know, you go to a game and they supply you with an unlimited supply of soda and popcorn and cookies and they feed you and it's not always the healthiest dinner. You get out at midnight, you got an hour drive home, you stop at Taco Bell. Uh, Like this is something that I talk to young reporters about all the time. I remember I talked to Logan Murdoch about it and then he came back to me uh, like a year later and he's like, dude, I have gained so much weight. You are totally right. I've like, I, I realized that as soon as I started doing it, that I was like, you can't catch a breath, you can't keep up, and you're, you know, you're just struggling to survive and, and shoving whatever you can in your mouth and not doing your exercising and all that stuff. And at the end of the day, you end up gaining a bunch of weight. And um, it's, it really, if you look at beat writers around the league, there's a very unhealthy lifestyle that, that most of us live. And so you gotta, you gotta watch yourself. And so I'm, I'm glad Mark's okay. Uh, and I'm glad the Apple Watch helped him out and you know like i don't know exactly what the reasons are but so many things going around right now especially post-covid stuff uh which is afib going on with so many people i know um it's just wild all the like the side effects that we're going to be dealing with for a while uh, so again big shout out to mark mark spears uh, let's get into uh king's talk and i feel like over the last couple of episodes this has become like the Jaden ivy podcast and <laughs> and i i don't want it to be that way but at the when same they, time, when they jumped to four, to the conversation was Jaden Ivey. Like he is the conversation. Yeah, I, and I feel like we're trapped in this cycle of what do you do? What do you do? What do you do? Like how do we deal with the Jaden Ivey situation specifically? Because, um, like I, I think the topic of discussion today is if the draft go, goes in order, and it, it you know it goes as according to Hoyle, right? So we've got uh, whether it's Smith or, or Holmgren going number one, number two, uh, Bancaro going number three. The Kings are on the clock at number four. Should we be concerned about the fit? And, and I know that this is something that, like, we've discussed a little bit, but, um, like, I, I think that there's enough issue here with the Sacramento Kings that they've seen that De'Aaron Fox and another ball dominant type player can't really work together. Like I think pie in the sky, everyone would be like, Hey, you know, trade the number four pick and Harrison Barnes and, 
uh, and go get Donovan Mitchell. But then you have this this issue: would Donovan Mitchell and De'Aaron Fox fit together? And then we start hearing sort of the player comps of Ivy, and it's and it's Mitchell, it's uh, Russell Westbrook. Like, what do we think about this? If the Kings are on the clock at four, is there a huge issue about selecting Ivy? because of the fit with De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox is 24 years old. He's under contract for four more years. Like, this this could become an issue, but I, I don't, where are we at? Well, for me, I mean, it's, you know, as someone who's been pretty vocal about exploring trade possibilities, um, if if you're looking at number four, you're strictly doing it to get better. And I think, again, it's, it's all about best player available at that point. I think you figure it out. Um and and look, this flies in the face of of my wanting to trade or, or explore trade possibilities. Again, I don't know what you're getting, but I'd want to explore every one of them. That being said, look at just who's in the finals right now. I mean, you've got uh, two teams with a lot of homegrown talent, especially with the Warriors who formed a dynasty. Um, their addition was essentially Andre Iguodala. For the Celtics, their addition was essentially Al Horford. Everyone else is comes right up through the draft, comes right up, they develop, um, and they've been around there for a little while. So that's why I think you see so many national folks say you need to you need to build through the draft. That's the only way to do it, especially if you're a small market team. And they're not wrong. But if you're more concerned about what's around you right now, then that's in my opinion why you possibly move the pick. And that's why I I've talked about you brought in a talent like Demonis Sabonis. You are now in a. I, I, w- I don't want to say win now, but you're not really. You hope to be able to develop and win at the same time, but you you don't make that move if you're not trying to ultimately compete right now. And so, in doing so, you've got to be very very aggressive to follow that map. You can't necessarily put Demonis Sabonis. I mean, you could. But you put Demonis Sabonis, and then you put it a four like Jaden Ivey, who I do think can contribute right away, and then you just try to figure it out. I I think that's fine. I I would prefer seeing somebody try to move it. You mentioned Donovan Mitchell, bringing in Donovan Mitchell, if that were possible. Well, hell yeah, you should sign up for that right now, because at best case scenario, maybe Jaden Ivey is Donovan Mitchell, right? Um, so if it takes you to get what he already is and it accelerates it, okay, great, do it. And then if you're seeing what about the fit with Deer and Fox, will you figure that out? And then all of a sudden your calculus with your team changes immensely. So um, no matter which way you do it, I think you still have to go with, if you're drafting best player available, that's you stick to that. I mean, you just have to do that. You can't be worried or concerned about fit because every time you are, that's when it goes back and bites you. Brennan? Yeah, I mean, I do kind of a tiered system where if you think that, for example, Jabari Smith Jr. is a better fit than Chet Holmgren, and neither one are like supremely more talented than the other, so you prefer Jabari because of the fit, then sure. But if you're talking about going down a tier in talent for the sake of fit is where I get lost. And if those top three are gone, as we're expecting, like Jabari Smith... Chet Holmgren and Paulo Bancaro. Um, I think Jaden Ivey's left a, in a tier of his own when it comes to talent. And so I, I don't see there's any way that I would, if it, I was the one making the decision, that I could comfortably 
like justify reaching lower. Um, you know, think of like, I know it's the name who shall not be said, I guess, but like Luka Doncic talk was like, I don't want to take the ball out of Fox's hands. Like they had to go get more ball handlers to surround Luka. They had to get a, a Jalen Brunson who I understand is good playing off ball, but Spencer Dinwiddie um, is another ball handler that functioned well with Luka. Like think of John Wall did fine with a Bradley Beal, like uh, a Zach Levine is, is playing well with Alonzo Ball. Like the, you need more than one playmaker on your franchise. I, I think that that is so important in today's NBA. Um, I don't think that Fox and Ivy would be a great fit. I think they can work just fine, though. I mean, what it comes down to, I think the basics of it is the shooting that, I mean, if you're betting on, if you're taking that, they just all have to, and this is Sabonis included, hit like a good outcome when it comes to what level of three-point shooter they're going to be. They have to be somewhere in the upper percentile of possible outcomes with shooting because I think they're all, specifically Fox and Ivy, are capable three-point shooters. They just need to be more consistent in that way. I mean, Fox shot 35% off the catch last year. Like, it's not it's not bad. Ivy made progress as a three-point shooter last year and was a little bit streaky, but he doesn't lack confidence in any sort of way. Um, and I think you guys made a good point when we talked about it previously that when it comes to, like, the fit being wonky as it was with Tyrese and Fox, with Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox, is that, like, Ivy doesn't need the ball in the same way that Tyrese did to be effective with um, Tyrese's playmaking. Like, Ivy's cutting and off-ball movement is extremely effective. I mean, there's zero issues in the open court. I think you'd have a phenomenal transition offense, um, but it's just half-court spacing. And realistically, like, Fox can't be your only playmaker. And even Sabonis. Like, you need another one. So I think that, sure, there would be growing pains, but... There already were with Fox and Sabonis. I think Fox like got a taste of of playing a little bit more off ball and an opportunity to grow in that aspect. I think there was still progress to be made. I still think that pairing would have worked fine. And maybe it's just an aspect of Fox needs to get a little bit more comfortable playing off the ball. But I also think the hierarchy would be a lot more obvious than it was with Tyrese. Like De'Aaron and, and Sabonis are the one and two and if one of them aren't out there, then you can feature Ivy a little bit more. But for the most part, I, I think those roles being a little bit more defined is important. Like we heard a lot of Tatum and Brown not being able to coexist because both those guys um, need the ball and, and they're better shooters. But it came down to creating a hierarchy where, okay, Tatum is the number one and Brown's the number two and establishing that. So I don't think it's a perfect fit, but I think the talent is so just a tier above everybody else when it comes to Ivy at four that you can't overlook it. And the fit isn't bad enough that I'm like terribly concerned or anything like that. You just take talent and figure it out. I agree. And like, I've, I've talked about this a million times about how, um, while I understand the trade and I agree with the trade to deal Halliburton for Sabonis, I still believe that if you had given them more time, eventually they would have figured things out. And to be honest, it, it comes down to, I don't think it comes down to Halliburton figuring things out. Halliburton's like usage rate was under 20. Like even though he was this incredible assist guy, it was like very effective, very quick and not a bunch of dribbling and boom, play, score the basket, make your teammates better, move to the other end. Right. Um, <laughs> it's the way basketball should be played. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, but the modern basketball game, there 
like half the teams in the league have a dominant player like De'Aaron Fox, who has the ball in their hand a ton, and you know basically orchestrates the offense, but not really the offense for others. Sometimes it's for others, but for the most part, De'Aaron, you know, averaging around six assists a game last year, um, that just wasn't enough, right? He needed to be up around eight, nine, ten. And the reason why he wasn't partially was because Halliburton was on the team for, you know, a good portion of the year and took on a lot of the assist load. Uh, But then we saw once Halliburton was gone, we saw Fox's assist numbers start to jump. I I get to this point where, again, Fox is 24. And it kind of brings us to the next question. At what point do you stop worrying whether a player can fit next to De'Aaron Fox or not? Because I know he's under contract for four years, but like, you haven't won. Like the best he they've done with De'Aaron Fox on their team is 39 wins with Dave Yeager the one year, but like this team hasn't won. And I'm not putting that on Fox. Like the instability of this franchise is nuts. The fact that he's, he's playing for his fourth head coach in six seasons. uh, That's absolutely crazy. And that's not conducive to winning or to growing as a player. But I still have to ask the question, like you passed on Luca because of De'Aaron Fox and you thought the fit would be bad, can you pass on another guy who people are literally comparing to Russell Westbrook and Donovan Mitchell? If it's if he's even in the ballpark of those guys, you're looking at a multi-time all-star, you can't pass up that that player because of Fox. And that that's not I'm not trying to attack Fox. What I'm saying is like at some point, like, man, you gotta figure out how to succeed with others. And you guys brought up Boston, and what I see with Boston a lot of the time is at the six-minute mark in the first, Jalen Brown comes out, Tatum takes over, they start the second quarter with Brown, he takes over for six minutes while Tatum sits, and then they finish the final six minutes together of the quarter. So they're both playing, you know, 36 minutes a night, but they're they're having at least six minutes in each half of just them on the court where it's their show, and they get to take advantage and do all the things. I think when it comes to a guy like Ivy, that's two years from now, you know, two, three years from now, where you have to start worrying about things like that. But I'm certainly not going to, like, make a decision right now when I'm looking at the future of the team and and I'm thinking, okay, I I can't do this now because of Fox. To me, that's crazy talk. Like, if you've got talent, talent is talent. Draft talent. Absolutely, draft talent. And that's kind of what I meant a minute ago when I said – you know you 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 draft the best player available and it possibly changes the calculus like your two years from now could look dramatically different maybe you're moving off of fox maybe you're moving off of fox a year from now maybe it works you know it's it's the the gm in the front office's job is to you know gather talent for a head coach to execute the plan and the one analytic i love to always point out for all the analytics there's never one for chemistry and, you know, I think they thought seeing what Tyrese Halliburton was able to bring to a basketball team that it would it would work right away. And for the most part, it probably would have long term. And, you know, maybe you stick with someone like Halliburton over Fox. But the reality was they couldn't get the type of player they wanted with De'Aaron Fox. and They had to part ways with Halliburton. So those are just the breaks like you sometimes those are hard decisions you have to make. And they're, you know. 
operating in a way where they didn't give up their best assets, which was their draft picks. So um, you still have Fox, and I think they really, really still truly love De'Aaron Fox and what he can bring, especially the small sample size of him pairing next to a big man like like Demonis Sabonis, who's an absolute beautiful playmaker. Beyond that, you still have to acquire talent, and it's shooting, and it's defense, 3 and D, all these things. So uh, if Jaden Ivey, though, ends up being that best player in your, in, in your calculus when you're putting your draft board together, you shouldn't waver from that. And I think I do think, James, you're right about the two to three years with Jaden Ivey, but I also feel like Jaden Ivey is one of those players in this draft that I identified at least as a guy who can contribute right away. Like I think he would be a, an impact player for the Sacramento Kings in his rookie season. Yeah, I think part of the reason that an organization would feel so much need to like complement or optimize De'Aaron Fox is because he's the supreme talent on the team. Like You need to get the most out of him. And now DeMontis Sabonis falls into that same aspect. But it's because who else are you going to like worry about building around? And maybe you have a chance at number four to get another guy where that's a good problem to have. If he's good enough that you have to worry about building around him, then that's a fine problem to take on. Like in the end, they need more talent. And the reason that Fox has been such a focal point is because he's been obviously the best talent on the roster. Um, So if you have an opportunity to get another guy that maybe can rival that talent level, um, I I mean, you just, I just don't see, it comes back to like Kings only have so many opportunities to get a star. And if you think Jaden Ivey has a chance of being a star, then you do it and figure it out. Like, Offensively, I think that the fit makes sense. Ivy's used to playing off the ball. Um, I know, like a majority of possessions, he was pick and roll ball handler. I think he can figure it out, and they can figure it out together. The same way I thought that Fox and Tyrese would have figured it out, as you guys said. I think defensively is like where the question is. Um, we saw Fox and Tyrese like both of those guys together defensively led to some really poor perimeter defense. I would guess there were other aspects too. Like I think there were some motivation questions on the defensive end last year with with buddy and bagley and and things like this um and everybody just kind of being locked in and full effort on that end but i don't think that ivy's been very impressive on the defensive end he's had his moments but i think that he's fairly similar to De'Aaron fox on that end and demontis sabonis is better than i expected but he's still probably an average defender in playing your most important defensive position at the five i would assume so maybe there's concerns on defense too but again i still no matter that i come back to like you only have so many opportunities to get a a star when you're the sacramento kings and jamie ivy has a chance of being that so that's the conversation to me i'm with you i'm like you just can't make the decision because of fox at the end of the day like if if you don't make that decision what are you saying about fox like how many players you have to go through that, that don't work with him before you find someone that might work with him? I mean, we and saw a pure, a he pure shooter. Be consi- and- Nobody should be considered when you're in the top five of the draft, to be honest. I, I agree. I agree completely. But, I mean, again, you put Buddy Heald, an elite three-point shooter, next to him, you didn't win more than 39 games. You've tried uh, – you didn't really try Dante DiVincenzo next to him, but uh, you've tried Halliburton next to him that didn't really work, and that's like a toolsy guy. It's a guy who can shoot the ball at a high clip, but realistically, he's more of a, a true distributor than anything else. And so, like, look, I, I hope that they figure it out, but, you know, we go back to Donovan Mitchell. Like, 
they put Mike Connolly next to him. You know, at a certain point, you put a, a veteran point guard next to him and said, okay, you play with him, learn how to play with him. And they put up 50 plus wins every year, you know. So I think the Kings need to figure it out and they need to stop worrying about things like potential, potential fit um, when, you know, like it's not like you're a 35 win team. You're a 30, a 30 win team. You're, you're hoping to take a jump to 40 something wins next season and, and hopefully get yourself in some sort of playoff contention. That's not happening if, if you cut corners and it's certainly not going to be a long-term situation if you continue to cut corners like this. So I'm uh, scared I, of Keegan Murray at four because well, to me, like there, there's a lot of smoke around Keegan Murray at five. So I, I think if there's an idea of like, oh, well, there is this guy that's going to be ready quicker. He, he fills the holes we need. And, and trading down isn't all that much of an option because he could be gone as quick as number five. Like if if they get if they go with Keegan Murray over Jaden Ivey, it's going to. Yeah. That's gamesmanship. That's gamesmanship right there. Okay, so it's I, also I guess... it's also a guy who's a little bit older too, and and I think that's what also makes some think that he can step in right away. I mean, if you look at the draft board, James, your top fifteen players, how many of them are step in right away impact players that you project? I mean, there's probably five, maybe six, maybe depending upon what team. But I think specifically to the Kings, there's yeah. there's probably just five or six so i don't even know if there's that man i don't he's like, one of them though <laughs> yeah yeah no I, I think you're right i mean you're probably looking at the top four and then keegan murray but that shouldn't again that's that's fool's gold that's such short-sighted vision it I is mean, you, you can't make a decision at number four like you did at number nine last year at number nine that's okay to make a decision based on the maturity of the player and his ability to play right away at number four, if that's the decision you're making, then you shouldn't be in charge of a team. Like, if, yeah. if that's why you're doing it. I also so, think... Does it ahead. come back around to their, the front office's contract situation? You know, only Maybe, one but again, left. That's, that's... Then let's put it on where it belongs. Then that's on ownership. If you allow a GM to make a decision based on his contract situation, then, number one, you got the wrong guy. But number two, you've put that guy in a situation to make a move that he shouldn't be making. You've put him in a situation to to do a short-sighted move. And so that goes back to ownership and what we always come back to with this with this franchise. So um, let's let's take it a little bit different path though. Um, if you don't feel comfortable at number four, if the Kings like decide that they just can't do it, they can't draft Jaden Ivy. Is there even a, a potential trade back that you guys feel comfortable with? Uh, because we're talking, I don't think you want to trade out. You still want to put yourself in a position that, again, if Keegan Murray is available at seven, if Keegan Murray is available at six uh, or, or at eight, like where you would still have the possibility of getting him, is there a deal to the Pistons or the Pacers or the Blazers um, or who, oh, San Antonio, uh, New Washington. Orleans? Yeah. Washington, like that that group of six, uh, five through ten, is there someone that you would want that would make you feel comfortable moving back? Uh, for me, AJ Griffin. I mean, I I, I don't know well, how I mean, far back you'd I mean have to trade. go, but the trade the trade scenario is 
that's a scenario where if you're looking at targeting somebody like him anywhere from like seven to 14, um, that could be intriguing. So pick your team, pick your player, pick your poison and see what you can hash out. Uh, that's, that could be an interesting scenario. I don't, again, I think we talked about it last, the last podcast, James, but I don't really look at it in terms of, um, you have to go out and, and target your players. So it's not necessarily the teams, and it, it will come to the teams, but you can work out three-way deals. You can work out – you can get really creative, and I think they've had an idea of what the landscape looks like for the, since February. I don't. I think it's changed for sure because things change by the week in the NBA. But I feel like you just identify your player first and who that is. For me, I just don't know. I mean, there's certain certainly players we talked about like, yeah, big Brandon Ingram fan probably not available you know things of that nature it's you know donovan mitchell big fan of donovan mitchell i'd love to see him in a king's uniform i don't know that he's available but that's how you kind of figure it out and if you're looking at if at trying to identify by team by saying okay yeah you got the pelicans you got the spurs you got the wizards you got the knicks all the way from all the way to 11 even okc at 12 like that that is tougher to do because None of those, you know, unless you truly love a player there. So maybe you're moving back, you're trying to acquire more assets, and then you can try to flip. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, you have to go out and get the player you want. So if you've already looked at your team and said, this is what we need, do that. But in terms of falling back later in the draft, the only thing that I can really forecast is knowing that, well, if I do move back in the draft, there are a handful of players that I'd be comfortable taking from that 7 to 14 or even lower range, and you can you can figure that part out. Maybe you're just trading out of it completely and trying to grab again, that veteran piece or, or something that's more to, to help you now. Uh, I just don't know what that is yet. I mean, you get a lot of smoke around Jeremy Grant, OG Ananubi, you know, even a Pascal Siakam, stuff like that. I just don't think that some of those are more realistic. So until you really see what it is, or if you can have conversations regarding the player you want, it's kind of, you're kind of pissing in the wind a bit. No, I got you. I, I mean, but like if you look at number six and you're looking at the Pacers, would you go from four to six for Malcolm Brogdon? No, I wouldn't. See, I wouldn't. I, yeah, it, it just, I'd, ra- I mean, I'd rather. It really depends on their evaluation of Ivy, right? I, I'd just, rather have Jade. I'd rather have Jaden Ivy personally. I would too. Okay, but I mean, at that point, you're looking at, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, and AJ Griffin, or and Keegan Murray. Right. So it's not just one. I mean, you're you're moving back, and you're swapping out. Right. Like you're not giving up the number four pick for Malcolm Brogdon. So uh, I, I just think it's like there's a lot of intrigue, right? Like, like there's a lot of things that can happen between now and, and June 23rd, but also now and and you know July 4th or 5th uh, as we get to this. Um, if you if you draft uh, if you draft Jaden Ivey, what does that mean for Dante Divincenzo? Um, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. I thought of Davion Mitchell's perspective, but not of DiVincenzo. Um, I mean, I think DiVincenzo can still play a three at times. Like, you can go a little bit smaller. I think he's still ideal as a two, but you can play a little bit of smaller lineups. Like, hmm. Okay, so you'd have Fox, Ivy, Mitchell, Davis, Holiday. DiVincenzo. And, and then what goes on with DiVincenzo, yeah. Um, I don't know. I find a lot of trade packages I end up putting together are Rashawn Holmes and Justin Holiday for matching sal- salary. So 
I mean, it's just the two larger salaries outside of Harrison Barnes. So yeah, like I could see a situation where Holiday's not here. Um, I don't know, actually. I, like I said, I hadn't thought about it. I guess it makes him a little bit more. You're more willing to move on from him, but I, I still think his skill set of just being a three and D player is something that is really valuable to this team. Sean. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I again, I th- I think. My, I'm not the one that's kind of married to um, Dante DiVincenzo in any way. Um, I think you can – there are players like him that exist. And I think you can get better. Um, I, I think he's just in a fortunate situation, man, where you've got restricted free agency. So he gets to go and set his set his market. If I'm J, if I'm drafting Jaden Ivey, I don't give a damn about Dante DiVincenzo in terms of whether or not he fits. Now, that doesn't mean I won't go resign him because if I draft him, well, then I figure it out. But – um, the 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 beautiful part about that is Dante Divincenzo gets to go out and dictate what his value is. Okay, yeah, I, I mean, like, look, I would still consider it because I thought the pairing of Mitchell and Divincenzo was like really good off the bench. I also think that um, when you have Rashawn Holmes, and it, don't take this as a knock on Rashawn Holmes because he's just a different type of center. Uh, but when you have him as your your five, um, it's really hard to run three guard sets. And I think when you have a passing big man like Demontis Sabonis, three guard sets should be like part of the calculus of this team next year. So, like I like the idea of having a five guard tandem that includes Terrence Davis and Dante Divincenzo and Mitchell and Jaden Ivey and De'Aaron Fox. I think that that can be exciting. I think you can swap guys out that can do all kinds of different things. You know, again, DiVincenzo can act as a primary distributor. Um, Terrence Davis can act as a as a creator. Like, I, I think it gives you a bunch of pieces, but I also, uh, I look at, you know, Terrence Davis is on a, uh, an expiring contract and um, Justin Holiday's on expiring contract. I'm not doing anything with with my draft pick or even free agency because of those two players because they're on one-year deals and i'm sure you can try to extend them or do whatever i don't see that happening so um like again i I would keep my options open but i kind of like the idea of of like some really athletic and crazy creative three guard sets with this group of five guards if that's where you went i don't disagree but i do think they really need to address the three and i know it's positionless basketball but the three is, I mean, three and stretch four. I know we've been we've talked about it at nauseum, but and you have all those guards, and, and that's a nice problem to have. But if you don't have a true three, I I, I don't think you're doing yourself service for, uh, especially when you have somebody like, you know, Sabonis and Fox, and you, you set yourself up nicely, but all of a sudden you look at it and you're like, man, we got some holes here. And to me, I, I think if you still have all those players going into next year, you're probably going to have some holes there so i i think you're just going to have an abundance of some of these guards and i think you're going to have to make some decisions hopefully rashawn holmes is a piece that can be moved for a wing like i think i'd be pretty shocked if and you can tell me where you guys are at with this if holmes was on the roster the next at the beginning of next season i'd be disappointed i should say um i don't see how like you know, they don't have great leverage in conversations right now with the season that Holmes had last year um, and, and the off-court things going on with him. But 
I don't see how you can spend like half a season just waiting for ideal value for homes. Like it feels like a deal needs to be done this offseason, right? Do you think there's a scenario where they wait in the way that it felt like they did with Buddy and Bagley for an ideal? I mean, if they can't move him, that's one thing. But I think Holmes is movable pretty easily. Um, It depends on what you want to take back, whether you're going to take back an expiring and just move off the salary or if you're going to try to swap him out for a player that makes sense. Um, I think that there are plenty of deals with Holmes. And, like, if you leave him on the roster, you're talking about massive diminishing returns because he's not going to play. He's not going to play enough to keep his value where it is even right now. So, you know, if if Sabonis is your starting center and he's playing 34 minutes a night, that leaves you 14 minutes for your backup center. And that's on nights where Sabonis isn't just dominating the action and, and playing 38 to 40. And so I just don't and he's, see... And he's not a player who can really play along Sabonis either. You know, he's yeah. not that stretch. So, um, I mean, unless you just old school it. and Because, again, as you mentioned earlier, Brendan, especially if you're running the offense through Sabonis, but also Demonis is not... He's not the the best defender in the world, and neither really is, is Rashawn, but he's certainly probably a notch above. Um, I just don't see them doing that. Especially yeah. in a Mike Brown situation. Like, that's... Kind of the other thing I think you think about what Mike Brown is typically known for, and I just wouldn't see them doing something like that. Yeah, it's interesting, especially when you factor in Mike Brown. Um, I mean, Mike Brown clearly would like versatile defenders like Rashawn Holmes, a big man that can defend the perimeter, you know, who who can get caught in switches and hold his own. Um, But at the same time, I just don't see that there's a way to keep both those guys on the court. I think you're just better off. Like if you can reset the center position with Sabonis, maybe Damian Jones, um, who again played for for uh, Mike Brown a couple of years ago in, in Golden State, um, and then you know Nemeas Keda probably as like your your third big your third center uh, behind the group. So I think that there's ways that you can figure this out, right? Um, but what I don't think you should do is uh, is really base anything off of the current roster. That's for sure. Yeah, especially with the number 100%. four pick. Yeah, says the yeah. says the Jaden Ivy fan club here at the Kings Beat. <laughs> I I was surprised by your. I, I know it was in talks of trading down, but your AJ Griffin shout out. Are you an AJ Griffin guy, Sean? I think he's probably among the best shooters in the draft and nice yeah. defender. Um, and for some reason, I don't know. I I don't <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think he'll be a top five pick, obviously, but I think he could be close. I think he could fall depending upon what teams are looking for but yeah i do like adrian griffin shocker right duke guy shocker yeah actually and like in the grand scheme of things that you know you have him you have Shaden sharp and you have uh ben matherin which are all around the same uh like level or the same tier and the more i watch the more i like matherin and mm-hmm. i i think that he should be a guy that goes you know five or six uh, as opposed to Griffin or Sharp, like I would take him. I think he's a safer bet. I, and I keep rearranging him. I now I'm at like Matherin, uh, and then Griffin, and then Sharp. It was switched around, but you know, as we get more intel as we go through this process, uh, they they move around. And I think that that's the one interesting thing too about like Keegan Murray could go number five, right? I I wouldn't take him number five because I don't think that that's value at number five typically. But this draft is kind of shaping up where after you get done with the top four, 
there are some major, major question marks. Like all three of the the guards, the you know the Griffin, Sharp, and Matherin, they all have their pluses and minuses, and you can't guarantee that any of them are going to be any good at the next level. You hope that they will be, but there's no guarantee. And you know there are guys like Johnny Davis that could slide up because again, I think this is a it's an interesting draft, but it's not a great draft. And I think there's more value from like pick 12 to 20 than there is from pick five to 10, at least like safety wise, there's, there's, you're going to find that there are more players from 10. I'll say that more players from 11 to 20 that pan out than from six to 10 Hmm. or five to 10. That's just my opinion. I like, I like, uh, Agbaji too from Kansas. I do too, but again, like he that's probably get him at fifteen. Down, right, yeah, that's what I'm saying. I like Tari Eason. You can get him at fifteen. I like Mark Williams. You know, I, he doesn't work with Sabonis, but I mean, dude has a nine foot nine standing reach. Like, I think it's interesting too. Like if you talked about the trade down scenarios, and and Charlotte's kind of farther down there, and you know, in relation to Rashawn, like there were a lot of smoke around him and PJ Washington last year. I don't know what that looks like. Uh, right around now it's not a name we have heard a whole lot about but um yeah trading down that could be a team to look out for i don't know that they're necessarily looking to get to number four but i think it would take a lot it would take a lot more than a rashawn holmes pj washington and 13 and 15 to get to number four (laughs) yes it would yes it would. i mean like if they want to start talking miles bridges to go to number four then you know that's one thing um but i don't think the kings are like i i don't think charlotte's going to going to no. go there but I, I think that the kings can't get back in at 15 i think they can use Holmes and probably get close uh matching up stuff and and getting to 15 even if it costs them uh, you know one of their second round picks um so pj washington uh for rashawn holmes and the and the kings take on the 15th pick and give up the 37th pick or whatever i think there's options there um especially with charlotte having so many other young players that they haven't been able to fit in yet uh, a guy like Kai Jones, guys like uh, uh, Book Knight, that you know they they can't even get to those guys yet. The last thing they need is a 13th and 15th pick in this year's draft. Mm-hmm. Um, they they just got a little test run with Montrez Harrell too, is very similar style to Rashawn Holmes. But again, Holmes plays much better defense. Yeah, no, Holmes is better. I, I think they just get a taste of do we like this style of basketball with this type of center? Yeah, yeah. I love Montrez Harrell, but again, I don't think he fits with the Sacramento Kings at this point. Um, but, you know, he's going to be available. He's going to be available for less than the mid-level, most likely. Uh, so you're you're looking at a player that's obtainable, most likely. Uh, yeah, it's interesting stuff. Uh, all right, uh, let's, let's go through the business of basketball. Um, let's go back to the, you know, like we've, we do this every couple of weeks now, but what do you think they're going to do at number four? And like, <laughs> I think we need to keep monitoring this because I think our opinions change, right? Like, what would you do if you're at number four? Actually, let's do that. What would you do if you're at number four? Um, yeah, I think that that's a uh, Sean. I think this is where we get confused a lot because again, I've been talking about exploring trade options and I do again, not knowing what you're getting. So does that mean that I'm, leaning towards trade okay you could call it that but at the end of the day if i have four and i don't have a trade i like i'm drafting four and if i'm drafting four it's jade and ivy if he's there 
uh, if it goes the one through three as we expect. Do you have candidates in mind that you like for trade? I know you've mentioned a couple, but <laughs> some I, I most of mine sound unrealistic at best. Um, okay. Those Donovan Mitchells, those Brandon Mitchell, or, uh, Brandon Ingram. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of guys that you can identify. Paul George is another one. Um, I just don't know how you get there. You know, I don't know how. There's plenty of guys you like in the league. Pascal Siakam is another one. How do you get there? Yeah, fair enough. Uh, it is. I mean, John Collins. I mean, even though that's not necessarily. I mean, how does that? I st- I'm still pretty big on him. I think he'd look fantastic in a Kings uniform. So if, Okay, so let's go there. If you had, uh, again, the number four pick for number 16, Harrison Barnes uh, and, you know, Justin Holiday and some cap filler, but it took back uh, John Collins and, and Herter, would you do it? Uh, I don't I'd think about it. I don't know. Probably not. I don't like the Herter contract very much. It's not um, that bad. It's not bad, but it's not great. And it's, it's a little bit more than DiVincenzo, and he's a better shooter. He's a better shooter. Um, it definitely addresses an area of need. I don't know. I'd have to. I don't know if that's uh, worthy of the number four, though. Personally, okay. Brandon, it's what do you tough for, us? for me. Um, I still don't know how to feel about John Collins defensively. To be honest, um, I, I think that offensively he makes a lot of sense. He's a really good three point shooter, and provides more than that too as a pick and roll thread and I think he's just a really well-rounded offensive player finishing at the rim and all of that defensively he's shown a lot of progress um I still like I don't know that I view him as the the weak side rim protector and three-point shooter that I feel like some people um do and I think I need to watch a little bit more on his growth as a defender over this last season to get a better grasp on that but I think like John Collins is the name that I keep coming back to is like maybe the worst player that I'd be okay with making a deal for. I still don't know that I love it, um, but I could see it. You know, like I, I see why Collins is an ideal, at least hypothetically an ideal fit next to Sabonis and provides the spacing that you need for a Fox Sabonis pairing and is still young with further upside. Like I get it. Um, if I'm the Kings at four, I, I'm taking Jane. I mean, really, actually I, I'm trading next year's first and moving up to Cheddar Jabari. I know I've been on this for a while, but I'm I'm not backing down. I've watched a lot of Chet over the last couple of days, so it hasn't yeah. slowed down for me. <laughs> I mean, I understand that. Like, I I fully do. If you think that Chet is going to be, um, like a def- a defensive game changer, and a guy that like has offensive potential, so he's not just a one way. We're not talking about like Dikembe Mutombo. We're talking about a guy who probably, you know, for his career can average 17 points a game, but he's not going to be a primary offensive player. Like, it's really hard not to, like, think about moving up, right? But if I, it, I'll just tell you what I would do. If I'm at number four, I'm probably keeping the pick and drafting whoever falls to me. And then I'm going to try to do everything in my power to go make a John Collins deal or make one of those other deals using guys like Harrison Barnes or my expiring contracts and future draft capital. That's where I would go. That's Um, probably the better way to say it, James, when it comes to that particular deal. I don't think it takes number four to get that type of deal, if that makes sense. I think think we're on the same page. I don't think it takes number four either. And I think you could get it done with number four, but if I'm doing that, I probably want more. Yeah, you know, from from them, and like the 16th pick isn't enough. 
So, I mean, the the number four pick in the NBA draft, especially in the draft that's become a four-man draft, I think it is still worthy of it. Uh, you know, like you you got to take that, you got to take your shot and see if the the guy pans out to be a superstar or at least a star level, all-star level player. Uh, I mean, and that's what it's going to keep coming down to. Like, if you want to compare him to Donovan and you want to compare him to Russell Westbrook, then you can't trade him. You can't trade the fourth pick if that's who he could be. And and to, for that matter, I, I think it's possible still that Ivy moves up into the top three. And, and then, like, you may end up with one of the guys that you wanted anyways. You could end up with Chad at number four. And people look at me like I'm crazy. No, you could you could definitely end up <laughs> look at with Brendan Chad crossing at number four. Fingers. If you yeah. cross your fingers double, is that give. is that a negative? Does that is that bad luck if you go the double double cross? No, not for me. Okay. Double discount double cross. Did you watch uh, Swingers do... yet? No, I did not. How dare uh, you? We do have no. some news while we we've been on the pod. Uh Nike founder Phil Knight and Dodgers co-owner Alan mm. Smolensky have made a 2 billion plus written offer to purchase the Portland Trailblazers. Ooh. Sources tell ESPN discussions are ongoing with Paul Allen Trust that's overseeing ownership of the team. Story soon. And I I don't know if people are following this but I guess it, like it literally is like Brewster's million. She, uh, Paul Allen's uh, wife, has uh, a, like eighteen months to sell off everything that he owned and donate it charity, and so she's up against the clock. So that we might see something move here. And having Phil Knight involved means that the Portland Trailblazers will stay in Portland, uh, most likely, which is where they should be. And uh, that's a great basketball city. I I love going up to Portland. Um, all right. Uh, do we have Did, any final didn't, thoughts? Didn't Chelsea just get sold the other day too? And wasn't there talk um, about Vivek being involved in that previously? V- Vivek was uh, part of one of the ownership groups and made it to the final three. He was a minority owner in that ownership group with the British Airways guy, uh, and they lost out. Um, and so, no, he will not be part owner of Chelsea. But that, that's another situation where they're forcing him to sell Chelsea and then um, taking the, I think it's $3 billion, uh, and giving that as reparations to Ukraine, from what I know. Wow. Yeah, because it's the oligarch, a Russian oligarch that owns Chelsea. Lots of money. Wow. Billions, billions. Billions, billions, and billions. Um, so Brendan hasn't watched Wingers yet. Uh, I've nope. been watching uh, Anchorman this morning, which you know, news team assemble. Uh, man, Seen it's it, got believe some, it or not, it's got some great one-liners, and it is horribly inappropriate. There are many things in that that <laughs> that are that didn't like, age well. Not, no, that don't age well at all. It's okay. Yeah, my yeah. favorite line is the I forget the exact number, but it's like forty percent of the time it works all the time. Paul yeah. Rudd, best line. Yeah. Or when Paul Rudd puts on the uh, the Panther. The Panther. Yeah, uh, cologne and <laughs> the lines. That smells like pure gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> the lines that people in the office say. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Something about Bigfoot. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's uh, poo with burning hair on top of it. Um, yeah. <clears throat> anyway. Uh, lost some, James. <laughs> some good one-liners there. Some great one-liners. Um, definitely lost me. Uh, okay, so do we have any final thoughts, Sean? What do you got for us? Final thoughts. I feel like every podcast we're going to do from here on out, we're just going to be analyzing four and possibilities of four. And 
uh, I kind of thought some of our opinions might change over these next few weeks, and, and mine really hasn't the closer we get to the draft. So um, we're getting into that. We're in June now, so we're getting into the inter- in the interesting phase of workouts and interviews and second appearances, any appearances at all. Some of the uh, some of the agencies will start doing some pretty shady stuff, and you'll hear a lot of stuff out there in the next coming few weeks that that will be a little bit smokescreenish, but it all comes down to draft day. It's all that matters. Uh, you know, you say that. Have you heard anyone that they've worked out? Like they've gone like radio silent for the most part, and like you. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've heard some names, but they're again, there's they're not nothing like I, the the biggest thing is i don't think they're going to be opening up any of these workouts so that's uh, that's unfortunate but well they're not um, even telling us who's at them anymore yeah well it depends on who you who they <laughs> who is they who is they yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah i mean but yeah it's a uh, it's a fun game man like chasing some of these things hearing some of the other ones um there's some names that have all of a sudden been uh most people wouldn't have known who they were and all of a sudden becoming factors. Um, I think I had a tweet earlier this week uh, about a kid from Houston. Um, So not somebody that maybe even be drafted, but you're talking about with the ability of uh, G league and two way and exhibition tens and things of that sort. um, Some pretty interesting names popping up. So we'll see how that goes. All right. Brennan, final thoughts. Keegan Murray film is really boring. Oh, come on. Really boring. I like Keegan Murray as a player. I think he's going to be a solid starter in the NBA for a long time. Uh, if the Kings were sitting at five, that's probably you're watching, who I you're would watching, be preaching. You're watching full games when you do this, right? Yeah. Okay. And Keegan sure. Murray's uh, the profile we're doing tomorrow. So I have to give myself a, a break of a check game every once in a while in between because it's just different. In cleanse, like, cleanse your palate. Which yeah, said. there's one that's really <laughs> enjoyable to watch, and there's one that's just so boring it's like you don't even get the slow-mo euro steps that you get from like harrison barnes it's just like all right i guess <laughs> yeah, this is what we're a, doing a dude who's 30 years in the nba you don't and you're comparing him to him That's <laughs> tough. i'm just saying when it comes to entertainment value of watching these games i think right. kagan murray is going to be a really good start in the nba for a long time just watching a couple of his games back to back is a little dry it's uh the stats that he finishes a game with you don't see them like you're surprised by every one of them by the time you get to the end so like the fact that he averages 1.9 blocks per game you're like did i just miss a game where he had like 12 and bolstered his (laughs) stat line like i'm confused you know so uh, again like i I like him and i it's just typically he goes in like that player goes from like 12 to 18 that's when he usually goes and i think it speaks volumes about the quality of this draft um yeah, I think this draft is is pretty shady once you get past four. <laughs> it's pretty pretty questionable once you get past four. Like, I don't think I like this one. I don't right. think I like this draft, and I don't think I like moving down, even if it's one spot. That's going to be tough. It's going to be tough to swallow because again, you're looking at the potential to give up an all star to get two okay starters. Just, like, just pick in the top four, whoever's left. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the King's Beat Podcast. Um, we've got all kinds of stuff going on here in the next couple of weeks. We'll have more podcasts. Uh, we'll be back on Tuesday, of course, uh, and next Thursday. 
Um, we'll liven it up. We'll, it just won't be the Jaden Ivey show from here on out. We'll, we'll do some <laughs> other stuff as well. We'll invent some player who's moved into the top four and, and fool all of you guys. Um, that, that's kind of the name of the game. Um, but make sure if you're watching still on YouTube, uh, you go down below and hit the thumbs up. Uh, give us a subscription. Jump on board with the King's Beat. Uh, get 15% off cool shirts like this. Uh, there's a promo code <laughs> down in the description. Um, so for... Fox 40s, Sean Cunningham, and yes. Brendan Nunez from the King's Pulse Podcast, and of course, the King's Herald. I am James Ham, your King's Insider for ESPN 1320 and the King's Beat. See you next week. Bye.